He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder of CornNation.com, your Nebraska Cornhusker site that's struggling through this offseason just like you. Today we're talking with Tim Aiden, an editor with our SB Nation Penn State site, Black Shoe Diaries. How are you today, Tim? Uh, doing doing good, John. Um, you know, just enjoying the ride that's uh, Penn State's basketball season. Um, they're they're locked to make the NCAA tournament for the first time in almost a decade, and uh, they've got a chance to uh, achieve uh, the most number of regular season wins in program history. Uh, they're I know they're on a two-game losing streak right now, but before that, they won eight straight Big Ten conference games, which obliterated their previous record. I think twice as much, actually. They only won four before that. So uh, despite the last week, it's still been a pretty historic season. So see how they do against Rutgers tomorrow night. Uh, they definitely need that win to to give them a shot at getting a double buy in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, but, you know, lots of hoops to be played. So it's exciting for for us, as as a Nebraska fan too, I'm sure you understand. I kind of do, but it seems unfair. I mean, <laughs> you're supposed to stay down here in the ditch with the rest of us, damn it. <laughs> hey, you, I think Hoiberg will uh, have you guys up there uh, sooner than you think. Yeah, I I like what he's doing. I like. I, you know, it's fun to watch the team. It's fun to see where he's going, but uh, we are also having a historic season, but not in the positive aspect. So, you know what? Let's, let's, what, Tim Chambers, your basketball coach, right? Pat Chambers. Pat Chambers. And how has this come about? Why do you suddenly have a good basketball team? Well, so it's really. You know, part a lot of it has to come down to recruiting. Um, yeah, he's you know, for the longest time. I mean, before Chambers, you know, the the talk was, you know, why can't Penn State get any Philly kids to come to, you know, middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania? You know, especially when you got schools like Michigan, Wisconsin. You know, they're or teams that are you know lo- that are really good at basketball, but aren't exactly located near. Uh, Hoops Mecca, maybe Michigan's a bad example because there's Detroit, but like, you know, like Wisconsin, for example, they feel they feel great team after great team, and uh, for the most part, and especially in the Bo Ryan era, and you know, they're not exactly near a Philly type Hoops Mecca, so there's, there's, it's long been thought, you know, why can't Penn State have some kind of success? Um, but Chambers has, you know, he's a Philly guy, uh, born and bred. Uh, and he, um, he's he figured out how to. You know, he finally solved that, uh, I guess that Rubik's cube, or reached the holy grail of uh, breaking into Philly, um, the particular Roman Catholic high school, uh, where he's nailed. He's gotten several recruits, including uh, Lamar Stevens, who you know is a household name at this point to everybody, and who follows college hoops. Uh, he's uh, he's on pace to break the all-time scoring record that Taylor Battle set. Uh, nine years ago, but I, I think the key's been yeah he's recruited well. But the problem before this season was we hadn't 
you know, we had talent. We had the talent in place to make the NCAA tournament, but, you know, the past couple of years, we've just come up short. Uh, you know, two years ago, uh, they just uh, didn't quite get enough quality wins to get in to the tournament. And so they they did, they ended up winning the NIT, which was amazing. But uh, it um, – and then last year, you know, they had – on paper, they had a pretty good team, but – you know, they started off, uh, they lost their first 10 conference games uh, before they, they really turned it around after that. They won seven of their, of their remaining 10 conference games. But by then it was, you know, too, too late. They ended up losing record for the year, you know, postseason. And so uh, there was a lot, and I'll admit, I was one of these people too. And I actually wrote a, uh, last March I wrote an article uh, saying, uh, you know, despite the way the team turned it around in February that Pat Chambers needed to go. Now, of course, as we all know, uh, the athletic director, Sandy Barber, kept him on for one more year. And and um, I guess to my own surprise, uh, everyone except uh, Rasir Bolton, one of the uh, top guards from last year, and uh, stuck around. Bolton transferred to Iowa State. And so – I guess that has to count for something. I, even despite how they struggled last year, uh, the players still believed in Pat. Uh, whatever, whatever it is he's telling them, whatever it is they're doing in practice, uh, they're sold on it. And I, I'd say I, um, it seems like everyone's being rewarded for their patience at this point with a historically successful season. Uh, not since the 1995-96 season has – Penn State achieved the levels of success they had, uh, you know, being ranked. In the, I mean, forget about hitting number nine, which is the tie for the highest in program history, but just even being ranked, that hadn't happened in since the 95-96 season when the actually the Bryce Jordan Center first opened. So uh, it's like I said, it's it's. Uh, I think everyone's being rewarded now for their patience, and uh, you know, even as someone who's like me, who's been critical of Pat the last couple of years for not making the tournament like I think he sh- they sh- Penn State should have. Um, you know, I have to admit, he he deserves whatever uh, contract extension they give him you know, at the end of the season. Does, does Penn State have a good basketball fan base? No, it's – no, I, it's 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 a – it's – like more uh, smaller group of devotees like myself, uh, especially people who grew up in state college and, you know, they like basketball. And of course, you know, you root for anything Penn state really, but you know, you're, you know, you, you know, not to expect much in terms of success. And uh, historically speaking, the fan base has been kind of a, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. It's, just like followers, I guess, of like some indie band or something, you know, smaller group of followers. But, um, you know, when that, when that band blows up, you know, they're, they're really excited. You know, you feel like, Oh, you know, this is something we've been waiting for all this time kind of thing. So, and it's, and it's great. And I'll say it's great to see a bunch of, you know, the rest of the Penn state fan, you know, fan base jump on the bandwagon. Um, Cause you know, yeah, we don't have the, the greatest support of basketball, but I'll say this about um, Penn State alums, fans in general, uh, they will quickly latch on to a winner. Uh, it could be a, uh, you know, it, it could be like a Scrabble tournament. And if Penn State's 
you know, got a championship caliber team, they'll, you know, you'll see fans turn out for that. So it's it's been fun to see uh, the Jordan Center sell out a couple times this year, which, you know, typically never happens. Well, Nebraska, Nebraska sells out Pinnacle Bank Arena, I think, quite a bit. Has a really good following in terms of people who go to the games, but you know it's always second by a very very long distance to football. So, um, all right, what I wanted to talk to you about an event that occurs annually at Penn State. Uh, I'm not sure how old it is, but it's called Thon, correct? Yes, Thon. It's um, it's short for Dance Marathon, and uh, they just, yeah, they, they just uh, did a, they just had it this past weekend. It's something that started back in 1973. And so this has been going on for over 45 years. And so it's a, it's a 46 hour uh, dance. We, it's really, they don't dance the whole 46 hours, but they, uh, the dancers, as they call them, there's 700 of them, by the way. So they have to stay on their feet for 46 hours straight. No sleeping. And so, of course, you know, they, people get to wear it and stuff and, you know, during that time. So there's always uh, – there's a huge stage. There's, you know, they have performances from bands. They'll have, um, you know, they'll have different, you know, activities for them to do. So really with the purpose of THON uh, – purpose of THON is to help raise money. It's a student-run philanthropy. Uh, largest student run venture in the world, and it's to raise money for the Four Diamonds Fund, which uh, benefits uh, uh, childhood cancer research. And um, like I said, this past weekend they raised over they raised over eleven and a half million dollars, eleven point six to be exact. Um, it's actually not the highest I've ever raised. Uh, the highest they ever did was thirteen point three back in twenty fourteen. But um, there's certain reasons. Uh, I can get into a little bit why it's gone down a bit, but um, it's a, it's just a wonderful, wonderful event. Um, you ask any Penn State, I don't know if you know any Penn Stayers in your life. I'm sure they brought it up, but and I'm sure people, your, I know your audience is, you know, Nebraska fans, but I'm, I'm sure there's gotta be a couple of them that are friends with, or they know a Penn State or they, you know, friends with one on Facebook and they, I'm sure, you know, this past weekend they probably saw, you know, hashtag FTK or so FTK is short for for the kids. That's a that's a longstanding mantra because the whole weekend is about um, making a fun and festive atmosphere for these kids that are, you know, going for these horrible, you know, going for these horrible bouts against cancer. And so it's a way for these kids to just um, you know, get out, get away from, you know, the, the test, you know, just the treatments and all the hospital, just, and just to, you know, go enjoy this, uh, you know, this festival like atmosphere. So they have, you know, they have like activities designed for the kids. Um, you know, they can get into squirt gun fights with the dancers, you know, they're going to see. And, and I know the, um, the football team, uh, they open up their facilities to the Thong kids and allow them to, you know, kind of mess around in the players' lounge, or to, or like they'll have. I think they'll try some of the equipment or something with the football players watching them. There's some 
there's some pretty cool pictures of the players, you know, helping the kids out with that. And so it's, it's just, uh, it's a really wonderful uh, event. And um, I personally um, was involved in as a student uh, my last couple of years at Penn State. Um, so uh, the, the people who are dancing, I mentioned before, there's dancers, uh, over 700 of them. And the vast majority are doing it on behalf of either a fraternity, a sorority, or a, or a club. And in my case, um, I, I ran on the club cross country team at Penn State. And we got involved the last couple of years with Fawn. And so this isn't something they do anymore, but we used to do things called canning trips. And that's when um, for a weekend, uh, someone on the, on the club would, would host us at their parents' house. And so we'd all you know, carpool down there. And then we'd spend that weekend um, doing what's called canning. So we'd either stand out like in a divider in the street or, or we maybe stand outside like some strip mall or actually go into a mall and, you know, hold out cans and, you know, to collect money for Thon. And, and it was, it was really, it was really cool just to see how many people were willing to just, you know, drop some coins or dollar bills or you know, occasionally you get a five or a 10 gets dropped in there. But um, it's also really cool. when you know, Penn state alums will drop one in and, shot we are at you and and i think what stuck out one thing that stuck out to me i think the most was uh an ohio state fan uh dropping money into the can i think that's something that definitely sticks with me but uh there's a but yes we we would do these canning trips and that's one big way to collect they uh collect funds um unfortunately i know they got rid of they phased out canning a few years ago because I know in the past several years, there have been a couple of fatal car accidents from people, you know, students who were, I think, going to or coming back from a canning trip. And so um, that was kind of controversial when they did phase it out. But um, they've, they've been inventing new ways to come up with uh, fundraising, it seems, especially, you know, these days with, you know, with, with you know the ability to just give to whatever cause or thing you want to give to with just a, a couple pushes on your phone. But um, anyway, so going back to my experience, so we canned and um, we had a we had four dancers, you know, two male, two female from our club who would dance and thon. And you know, of course, all of us as a club, we would try to be there to watch from the stands and support them. Or you could also get a you're able to you get a floor pass and actually go on the floor and that's a whole different experience being on the floor and you know you feel the energy you feel you know you see the you know you see what the dancers are going through and, and more importantly you know the kids like you, you, know, you see their faces light up you know you know doing all the fun activities down there so it it's it, it was just a really tremendous experience and um yeah, and I myself also served on a committee for Thon. It was called Rules and Regs, and so we were just responsible for, um, you know, scanning for um, giving out passes or passes to people and holding onto their IDs and stuff like that, just making sure things were running properly and that you know there weren't too many people on the floor at once. So it was just a and and, and you know nowadays, I mean, I've been out of I graduated from Penn State uh, thirteen years ago, but it's I still try and watch the, they have a live webcast on, on their website every year during, during the weekend. So it, 
called 46 Live. And so I try to, I try when I can to catch a, you know, catch a few minutes of it here and there. And it's, you know, it kind of brings back some of those memories. So it, yeah, it's great. Cut. And um, yeah, in case any of you, your listeners are interested in learning more or, or giving, uh, just go to Thon, T-H-O-N dot O-R-G. Uh, and there's, I think there's a donate now button on there. So, but yeah, I could probably, I could probably talk your ear off about Thon for the next hour or two, but I know you got other items you want to get to. So basically what you have is 700 people are going to stay on their feet for 46 hours. Correct. 46 hours. Yep. Actually, it used to be, used to be 48, believe it or not. Um, before, so my last year at Penn State, so, so 2007, they moved it to the Bryce Jordan Center, which their basketball arena, because the previous place, Rec Hall, which is where you know, the volleyball wrestling teams play, it was just becoming too, it was too small. And I think they don't have air conditioning in there. So it was just, you know, just really became too much. And so, you know, logistically, so they moved to the Jordan Center. And now, you know, of course, that fills up. You know, they have to actually lock the doors for the final four hours because they get over capacity, capacity for the stands. So, but, um, yeah, it used to be 48 when it was at Rec Hall. And then when they moved to Jordan Center, they cut it to 46 because um, it's a little more maintenance to take everything down and, you know, and just reopen the Jordan Center um, after that. Because all the um, athletic – because <clears throat> the, the ADs, the offices, and all the other athletic um, offices are in the Jordan Center. So it's not just um, for hosting basketball games or concerts like the – administration for athletics is located there. So 11, over 11 and a half million dollars this year. It's been going on since 1973. I'm guessing you guys have raised an incredible crap load of money over those years. Uh, over a million at this point. Over what? I think it's over a hundred million at this point. I'd have to look that up, but it's, I think it's. I think they've hit over a hundred million in the entire history of Thon. Does this get a lot of publicity outside Penn State circles? My understanding is, um, well, I, I I I can't say for certain, but I know the Big Ten Network has has um, covered it before or, or mentioned it on their broadcasts. Um, and and like I said, and Penn Staters, uh, as, as you may know, I mean we're pretty large alumni base, um, so we're we're kind of scattered across the country. So, you know, I'm sh- I'm and I know like in areas of larger concentrations of alums, like for example, I live in the Washington D.C. metro area. I know the D.C. chapter hosts Thon watch parties, like for the final, just for the final four hours, like they'll watch they'll have a Thon watch party at some you know establishment somewhere. So I mean, they. I'm sure they help bring awareness to, you know, the local media there. So, I, again, I can't speak for certain, but I I know it's got, it's gotten recognition from, in other parts of the world. And actually, I think what's her, um, one of the Kardashians. I don't know if it's Kim or Chloe, or, but I know one of them has tweeted about thought in the past, and that that brought in a lot of uh, eyeballs to it. So. I, I guess in a way, yeah, it does have 
recognition outside Penn State. Hmm. I, I guess I, I just find it fascinating, and you're right that uh, I do have a close colleague who is a Penn State alum, uh, and we're constantly at each other, and he's been having a lot more fun with me than I have with him lately, but... <laughs> You know, maybe the tide will turn. And we're gonna we're gonna is turn to football now because uh, we're gonna actually play each other again this coming season in 2020. And I know it's a long ways away, but I do have some football questions. Sure. First, how are Penn State fans doing with James Franklin? Well, uh, not quite sure what you mean by how they do. Like, do they? Like, are they supporting him or are they happy with what he's achieved? If that's – if by that, you, I think overall they're they're quite satisfied. They like the general direction the program's headed in. I, I think at this point, um, now that he's uh, signed a six-year extension, contract extension, which runs now through the 2025 season, and um, my understanding is he's going to get a – larger assistant salary pool and commitment to continue to upgrade facilities um, amongst other things. So, I mean, now that he's signed his contract extension to, you know, be here for the long haul, I think the next step now is to uh, got to, at some point, these next couple of years, try to break through into the playoff. Um, they were damn close to doing so in 2017. And, uh, you know, if they had just, you know, if they had held on against Ohio State in that second half, um, you know, I, I very much think they would have broken through and gotten in. And, uh, boy, we I can only ima- imagine how much fun it would have been to see Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley in the playoffs. Uh, not saying they would have won it, but it they certainly could have made things interesting uh, against Denali, or I don't know who they would have played, but they would have made things interesting. But that's the next step, making the playoffs. Um, I mean, overall, I think people are pretty happy with Franklin. And uh, he's, I think the most significant thing now is that he's, uh, we've made a couple of, uh, it's been a busy offseason in terms of the coaching staff. Um, we've had a couple of assistants leave uh, for promotions. Um, Ricky Ronnie, the offensive coordinator, uh, took the head coaching job at Old Dominion. And actually, if you ask most Penn State fans, they were quite happy to, see Old Dominion take Ronnie away from 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 Penn State. Um, you know, he, he had kind of a – I mean, he, he'd been criticized for the, how the offense has looked the last couple of years. Well, it hasn't been, hasn't been bad per se, but it's at times looked very uh, – a little disjointed, just kind of – just a lack of uh, flow, let's say, just lack of consistency. And so um, they bring in Kirk Shiraka from Minnesota, who uh, people are pretty bullish about. Um, he's a Pennsylvania native, grew up a Penn State fan. And, uh, you know, at, at 54, he's not, I mean, he's not exactly look, he doesn't desire a head coaching gig. Um, so I think what the family has hoped for Shiraka is that, you know, he, you know, he'll have a better, uh, a more consistent looking offense. And he'd also be a type who would just be there for several years, you know, basically into retirement. And because, you know, the last couple of quarters we've had, they've only been around two years and then left. 
I think the most important um, hire has been on the offensive line. Uh, Phil Troutwine replaces Matt Limegrover, who was let go at after the Cotton Bowl, and uh, he's got a he's a young guy. He's like 33. Uh, played at Florida, won a couple national titles there under Urban Meyer, and then you know had a, a short-lived NFL career. And he's gone on to he he has a really good reputation in the coaching circles, and uh, his his Boston College, his offensive lines at Boston College uh, were known to be pretty good at protecting the quarterback and opening holes for, you know, the running backs to go through. So, and uh, he's seen, and, and there's, there's a couple of five-star offensive linemen Penn State's after right now. And, and uh, he's, you know, it seems like they really, they're, from their interaction with Troutline, they really like the guy. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what they do with him. Um, Unfortunately, uh, they also lost uh, Sean Spencer, their their uh, defensive line coach, their beloved D line coach, uh, known for uh, producing the Wild Dogs. Uh, he he took a similar position with the New York Giants in the NFL, so um, you know, good for him. Uh, he's been replaced by John Scott Jr. Uh, from South Carolina, and uh, you know, he, you know, he got the he got the Sean Spencer seal of approval. Which you know isn't a bad thing, and so it'll be interesting to see. Um, it, he's this is a guy who has a lot of connections in the South, and so I have to wonder if uh, maybe this helps Penn State, um, you know, rec- recruiting recruiting in uh, SEC territory a little better. Um, and I mean, granted, granted, they've done a good job now of opening up a Florida pipeline thanks to their running backs coach Jay Wan Sider. Um, that's another thing we talk about later. Um, and then there was another change at the receivers coach. Um, Jared Parker took the offensive coordinator job at West Virginia. So in comes Taylor Stubblefield out of uh, Miami, who was only there for one year. Um, he He's the guy, he, uh, if the name sounds familiar, he played um, receiver at Purdue back in the early 2000s. And he was, I think his record's been broken since, but at the time he was the NCA leader in career receptions. Uh, he had some like over 350 receptions as a player at Purdue. Um, he's been he's kind of bounced around between jobs. hasn't really been at anywhere more than a year or two. And um, so that while that's a bit of a red flag, I think also he's looking for some place of more stability. And I think Penn State will provide him with that. And I think more importantly of Stubblefield is as a guy who was once the NCAA leader in career receptions, I would have to think he's probably good at teaching the technical aspects of the receiver position to players, which really for Penn State, I think that's the most important thing they're missing right now. It's not they lack talent at receiver. I think it's at times they they seem to – they could probably do a better job, obviously, of catching the ball. Um, Drops weren't as big of a problem in 2019 as they were in 2018, but they were still an issue at times. And uh, probably could help with route running and all the other technical aspects that go into being a wide receiver. So if, if he can improve them significantly in, in those regards, then I think the recruiting, it'll help make recruiting that position easier for him because the understanding is he's, he doesn't exactly have the you know top reputation as a recruiter, but I have a feeling this was more of a hire to actually help improve the 
you know, the way the receivers play as opposed to, you know, a recruiting thing. So uh, a lot of changes on the staff, but, um, you know, overall, I think fan ba- the fan base is, uh, you know, they're all, they're on board with Franklin and, you know, we're, we're anxious to see, um, you know, can they finally break through? And, uh, you know, this season, 2020, um, you know, expectations are pretty high. Um, we're seeing, I know ESPN released their, uh, released their way too early top 25 rankings recently and Penn state was number five. Um, I've seen them in other um, publication, not uh, other websites like easily in the top 10. Um, and that's doing part, you know, even despite losing KJ Hamler on offense, I mean, they you know, returning virtually everyone else um, except well, one offensive lineman. So, you know, you got nine out of 11 offensive starters coming back. And you got, you know, defensively they lose lose about half their guys, but um they you got a lot of really talented guys ready to step up in key spots. So th- there's a you know, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of hype going into you know throughout this offseason on on Penn State. And uh, you know, we're we're really anxiously awaiting to see how twenty twenty goes. Uh do you do you guys see your do you guys see yourselves as being able to overtake Ryan Dad? at Ohio state. And I mean, do you worry about Jim Harbaugh at all at Michigan or Mel Tucker now coming to Michigan state? So obviously, so Ohio state, I mean, we're talking, you know, long-term, I mean, uh, frankly, I mean, I think I, I don't, I don't see who's going to overtake Ryan day um, or whoever's even if Ryan day goes to the NFL, I'm sure whoever they bring in is going to keep that train rolling. I think, uh, you know, it's just a I mean, a train kind of runs itself at this point almost. But um, as can they can they beat Ohio State this year? I mean, it's possible. It's in it's late October in Happy Valley. It's going to be a whiteout. I'm I'm probably about ninety nine point nine percent certain it will be a night game whiteout. And you know, given how much Penn State's got coming back, um, you know you. Yeah, you certainly can't count them out in that kind of environment. Now, will they actually win? I don't know. Uh, you know, that's hard to say. But I mean, Ohio State obviously they're, you know, they're the front runners in the Big Ten. But um, as far as you know, worrying about, you know, Michigan, Michigan State. I I think um, Penn State and Michigan are recruiting about the same level at this point. If you just go by the twenty four seven composite rankings the last couple of years, and um, yeah, they, they, I know they play at Michigan this year, so it's going to be interesting to see. In, in this series, um, the home team has won – I'm sorry, the, the away team has not won since 2015. So the last five meetings were all won by the home team, and you know a few of those were in blowout fashion. So what'll, I think that's one game that will really – that could really set the tone for how 2020 goes for Penn State. Because that's uh, first weekend of October. They go to Ann Arbor. You know, if they can come away with a win there, I mean, it. Uh, the, 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 the Penn State hype machine is going to go, you know, going to be kicking it up to 11 at that point, you know, with Ohio State only a few weeks after that. So, But, um, you know, obviously Michigan, that's a team you always got to, you know, always keeping an eye on. They're, you know, right there with us and uh, – you know, both teams are look. You know, are trying to catch up to Ohio State. 
Uh, Michigan State, um, you know, Tucker could be a he could be wildly successful. Um, and by wildly successful, I mean maybe feel like you know consistent, uh, you know, nine maybe sometimes double digit win teams. Or he could be a spectacular failure like uh, John L. Smith was. I mean, I, I don't know if there's going to be an in between. Um, but so it's a something like a high risk, high reward thing. But for the short term, these next year or two, it seems like that roster is is going to need a rebuild. And especially since Penn State's playing them in Beaver Stadium this year, I mean, I'm not too concerned with Michigan State right now you know they they could maybe eventually you know be a pain in the ass again but uh for the next year or two at, at least uh they're you know they're gonna you know they should be more concerned with uh you know indiana or you know maryland or Rutgers trying to catch up to them okay and then i have to ask this obviously the next question is pretty obvious how do Penn State fans see Nebraska, or since we're sticking with coaches, how do you perceive Scott Frost coming into the next season? <laughs> well, I, as obviously as somebody who doesn't pay attention to Nebraska nearly as much as you guys do, um, just I guess from an outsider's perspective, um, obviously it's great. You know, you brought a you know native son back home like Frost. Um, I think that situation was probably more of a mess than maybe the media or maybe some Nebraska fans wanted to believe it was. And that's kind of showed these first couple of years. But um, I, I think, you know, I think uh, the fam, I think the family just needs to be continue to be patient with them. It's going to be a long build, but um, it seems like when they brought in the top 20 recruiting class for 2020. So that's, yeah. You know that that's 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 a positive sign. I think it's better than the previous couple classes. So and uh, they seem to have some parts in place. Um, you know, what Wandale Robinson, Adrian Martinez on offense. Um, I don't know how the defense is at this point, but uh, you know they they seem to have some parts in place. They they just need to keep adding more and more. If they want to seriously compete for a Big Ten West title and you know, challenge for an actual Big Ten crown. Um, as far as how we view, as far as how, you know, I view the clash in Lincoln this year, um, it's, I mean, it's hard to say it's in, it's in uh, November and I mean, there's a possible, it could, you know, maybe, maybe this is the year they kind of break through kind of like Minnesota last year. That was, I believe our first game in November and, you know, going to, you know, in that off season, it's not like Minnesota was getting much hype. I mean, I mean, yeah, PJ Fleck had a lot of respect and all, but uh, you know they had yet to really break out, and you know Penn State ended up uh, you know getting beat there. So it's you know it's not a game. It's not a game uh, I or think any Penn State fellow Penn State fan should be taken lightly, despite how you know Nebraska struggled the last couple of years. Maybe maybe by then uh, things will be starting to come together for Scott Frost. But again, you guys would know better than I do because you you follow the team closely. You know what the roster makeups truly like. You know how the coaching staff is. But that's just my perspective. Yeah, I I I'd say that uh, well, he damn well better make a bowl game this coming year, or native son or not. He's 
<laughs> probably going to be strung up somewhere or something. So I don't see us putting up with this a, a, a whole lot longer. All right. We'll probably wrap up here. Is there anything else about Penn State right now that I might have forgotten that you'd like to add? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I covered the basketball team before we got into the main top discussion topics. Um, you know, other than that, uh, you know, I got – they will turn the riser into lacrosse. Uh, you know, Penn State's uh, looking pretty good once again. Uh, they did they did lose to Yale last weekend. Um, the Yale's been the one team that's beaten them in the past year. They've done it three times now. But um, but Penn State's not a school that's uh, traditionally been great at lacrosse, and they've now in the past couple of years have really gotten it together, and they're starting to form a. Uh, something that could be long lasting at state college. I don't, I don't know if very many people in Nebraska know what lacrosse is. Cause we certainly don't have a team. <laughs> very true. So, I, know it's, I know it's uh expanding across the country. So maybe, maybe there was um, obviously it's huge where I live in, uh, you know, Maryland. So. It, you know, it, I've seen it. Uh, I live in Minnesota I have seen lacrosse, and it looks like fun to me because you get to whack another guy with a stick. That's all I know about it. It's a combination of, um, like, football, hockey, basketball, in a way. It's it's, it's interesting. I had a cousin who played uh, D1 lacrosse at Providence, so I, I sort of paid attention to it a little bit before Penn State got really good. Cool. All right. We're going to close it out. Uh, thank you, Tim, for joining us. You've been listening sure, to Post Life Crisis. Have a great day and go Big Red. <laughs>